week seven of our current series here at Rooftop called The Gospel According to Pixar. So for the past 25 years, Pixar's been making some of our favorite movies, full-length animated features that are heartwarming and emotional and uh, original. And now Christians, as Christians, we want to be in the world, right, but not of the world. So we're trying to consider these movies from a Christian biblical perspective. Do we have anything to learn from them? Uh, Is there anything Christian in them or, or, or not? So far, we've looked at such Pixar classics like Toy Story, Finding Nemo. Next week, we're going to look at one of my favorite, actually, maybe my favorite Pixar movie, uh, A Bug's Life. But uh, this morning, we're going to consider one of Pixar's most recent hits. It's the movie Soul. So Soul came out last year during COVID. Uh, It was written and directed by Pixar veteran Pete Docter. It stars the voice talents of Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Felicia Rashad, uh, the musical talents of Herbie Hancock, Trent Reznor. Uh, Soul is actually Pixar's first movie that features a uh, black man as the protagonist. So Pixar enlisted a brain trust of, of black artists and, and uh, writers to get the, the black experience uh, right. Now the movie is about a middle school band teacher named Joe Gardner. Joe has just been offered a full-time uh, teaching position at his school, complete with benefits. He should be happy, but he's not happy because being a band teacher was never his dream. Never has been his dream, doesn't want to be a full-time band teacher. Ever since he was a little boy, Joe has wanted to be a jazz musician. But while he is a very talented piano player, he just can't get the breaks. Finally, though, he gets his shot. Uh, Joe has the chance to play with a world-class jazz group, but just before the big gig, he dies in a terrible manhole accident. Now, Joe wakes up as a bodiless blue figure in a dark, ethereal place. He realizes he is just his soul, and he is moving on a conveyor belt towards a bright light, the great beyond. Traumatized, he decides he is not ready to die, not before his big break. So Joe jumps off the conveyor belt, because you can do that, and lands in a place known as the great before. Now, the great before, which is different than the great beyond, is where new souls are created and equipped with personality before getting set to earth. And as part of his plan to return to earth and reunite with his body, Joe agrees to be a mentor to a young soul yet to be born, a young soul named 22. Now, soul number 22 is actually a a difficult soul, played by uh, Tina Fey. She's a difficult soul who, who does not want to be born on earth. Through some supernatural shenanigans, though, Joe and 22 find themselves back in New York City. However, they fall into the wrong bodies. 22 falls into Joe's body, and Joe falls into the body of the therapy cat lying on Joe's hospital bed. (laughs) From there, they must find a way to switch bodies, switch Joe back to his body before the gig, and send 22 back to the great before. But as you can imagine, things do not go as planned. Now, now, Soul is actually a very good movie. It's part Heaven Can Wait, part Freaky Friday, part Mr. Holland's Opus, part Barbershop. The, the movie has some great visuals and some great music. It's a beautiful movie with a lot to admire. But in addition to being a beautiful, entertaining movie, it's actually also a very philosophical film. It gives us a lot to think about. And let me tell you, if you did not come to church this morning prepared to think... This is not going to be your morning. (laughs) You see, the world of soul takes us into a field of thought that I'm going to call metaphysical anthropology. 
Metaphysical anthropology. What? Some people might call it philosophical anthropology. What is, what is this? Well, anthropology is the study of humankind. And metaphysics refers to the study of things beyond our sense experience. So metaphysical anthropology is the study of humankind beyond what we can perceive. It's the more spiritual study of humankind, the study of the soul, or the study of human consciousness. These are notions that philosophers and prophets and poets have been thinking about for a very long time. And the world's great religions have all come up with answers, different answers to some of the questions that metaphysical anthropologists ask. Questions like, do humans have souls? What are souls? Where do they come from? What are they like? Where do they go? This is the world of soul. You see, the movie Soul has a certain uh, metaphysical anthropology to it. In the world of soul, souls are actually created before they are born. They are endowed with personality, but then they are assigned to a new human baby. And then they enjoy material existence for a while. And then with the demise of the human body, the soul moves on to the great beyond. That's the metaphysical anthropology of soul. Now, I could deconstruct this worldview I could tell you where the religion of soul goes wrong, as far as I'm concerned. But honestly, that feels kind of silly. I mean, it's a movie. (laughs) I mean, I don't think Pete Doctor and Pixar intended us to take their metaphysical religious worldview seriously. It's just a cartoon. At the same time, I think the movie does actually raise a question that is worth talking about this morning. A very important question. What is the soul? That's actually a And not an easy question to answer, as you can imagine. It's not even a question that we talk about that much, even in church. Although, having said that, there are probably as many different answers to this question, what is the soul, as there are people asking the question. And and even the Bible uses different words to refer to the soul in different ways. Uh, One of the most common words used in the Bible to refer to the notion of soul, for example, at least in the Old Testament, is the Hebrew word nefesh. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say nefesh. You've got to string out the ish at the end. Nefesh. Right. Now, nefesh is actually used 700 times in the Old Testament. But it can be translated in a lot of different ways that are kind of soul-like. Nefesh can be translated as throat. That's your nefesh. It can be translated as a person. It can be translated as a life principle. It can be translated as self. Nefesh is yourself. Or it can be translated as a non-material existence of a person. What we might call the soul. Right. And that last meaning is actually what we're thinking about this morning. The soul is the non-material essence of a person. A, 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 A person's core, which is connected to but goes beyond a person's physical body. The Bible talks about a person's nefesh as that part of them that God protects from the destruction of their bodies at death. We see this in places like Psalm 86. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my nefesh. You have delivered my soul, my nefesh, from the realm of the dead. So the soul is the deepest and the truest part of us that endures past death. It's the core of who we are. Uh, You might consider, if you like analogies, you might consider the soul the operating system of your computer. 
Uh, your body and your brain are the hardware, the, the computer, but the, but the soul is the operating system that works within the hardware to make the computer function. It's your core. Now, of course, I should tell you that lots of people these days are very skeptical that people even have souls. Uh, we like to consider uh, the views of skeptics here at Rooftop because there are skeptics among us, right? I might be one of them. And there's plenty of skepticism when it comes to this idea of the soul. You see, there's actually a great big divide in the philosophy community between two groups of thought, generally speaking. Uh, there is a great divide, big divide between what we might call physicalists and dualists. Uh, physicalists are, are those who believe that any notion we have of soul is simply the result of mental processes. So there's no physical properties of soul that we can test. You can't x-ray for the soul. You can't like probe the soul. Uh, you can't perform experiments on the soul. So physicalists say that if our souls even exist, they are merely our minds, merely the electric signals in our brains. Dualists, on the other hand, believe that human beings are some combination of non-material substance and physical matter. So dualist kind of means two, right? Dual, dual, dualists. And refers to the two or more parts that compose a human being, our bodies and our brains, and our brains are part of our bodies, and our non-material souls. Now, this debate between physicalists and dualists has been going on for thousands of years, further back than Plato and Aristotle and Descartes more recently. It involves psychology, philosophy, religion, neuroscience, and there are no easy answers to it. But, a traditional Christian perspective on this, a traditional Christian perspective, and I'm a, I'm a skeptic, but I'm a Christian, and a traditional Christian perspective is that the soul not only exists, but that it is absolutely fundamental to our identity as people created in the image of God. In the book of Genesis, for example, God breathes life into the first man, Perhaps endowing him with a soul and creating him unique within the animal kingdom. So that from the very first pages of the Bible, we realize there is, there's some part of us, some part of us that is not physical and that comes from God. We don't have to just take this on faith, though, either. We actually have good reasons to believe in the existence of a soul, or, or at least something like a soul. What reasons? Let me give you a few. Uh, first... People who have near-death experiences, or, or NDEs, for example, these are people who report dying, leaving their physical body, having brain scans which show brain death, but existing as, them, as themselves, separate from their physical body in a non-physical manner. They are separate from them, their bodies, but still themselves in some sort of way. Also, many philosophers believe that human experience actually requires the existence of souls. The experience of human consciousness, for example. Consciousness is a thing. And the experience of human consciousness cannot actually be explained by science. Basically, our conscious awareness of the world around us, what some might call our souls, is different from what's going on in our brains. 
But the other important reason to believe in the existence of the souls is much more simple. Jesus did. Jesus believed in the reality of the soul. As Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus distinguishes between a person's physical existence and their spiritual existence. And, and as just a simple reminder, remember that, that Jesus has authority on these things. Right? Jesus knows what he's talking about. He came from God. Roshan, Roshan the dead. Uh, he, he speaks with a, a certain credibility. So the soul can be hard to pin down. I mean, by definition, it's non-material. But we, we actually have good reasons to believe it is real. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians all agree on matters of the soul. In fact, in, in my research this week, I, I ran into some really interesting intramural debates amongst Christian philosophers and theologians about soul-related questions, questions like, what's the relationship between soul and spirit? Are they same, different? Some people think they are, some people think they're different. Or this question, where do souls come from? How do people get them? Does God, like, give a soul to a newly conceived human being? Or some people think that actually souls come from the combination of two parent souls, just like two parents come together, create a third person and create a third soul. Uh, or, here's a question, do animals have souls? Very smart, very serious people debate this question. Do animals have souls? The consensus among experts, though, is that some animals have souls, some animals don't. Dogs, for example, clearly have souls. Cats clearly do not. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, Mr. Whiskers, but I have no idea what will happen to you other than absolute annihilation. <laughs> Now, I don't want to get sidetracked uh, by those questions, though. We so easily could, which is why I just want to skip ahead. I just want to skip ahead to the question that we really try to ask here at Rooftop. So what? What does it matter? What does it mean? Behind all this interesting philosophy of the soul, why should we care? In particular, I want to ask this question. What does it mean for us that we have both a body and a soul? Uh, we clearly have bodies, right? Unless we're living in like the Matrix computer, which I don't think we are, but we clearly have bodies. And let's trust Jesus that we also have souls. So what does it mean, practically speaking, that we have both bodies and souls? That's the question that I want to spend a few minutes talking about with you this morning. And as you can expect, I have three answers to that question. What does it mean that we have both a body and a soul? First, if we have both a body and a soul, it means that I am more than what I appear to be. If we have both a body and a soul, it means that I am more than what I appear to be, and so are you. You see, we are physical creatures. We live embodied lives, and so much of our existence is concerned with our physical experience, you know, how we're feeling, how physically comfortable we are. And, and that matters. We're going to talk about this. God gave us bodies for a reason, but many of us live obsessed with our physical realities and we neglect our souls. This is dangerous because the spiritual part of us is more important than the physical part. And we easily neglect the spiritual part of us and this is bad for us. If we neglect our souls, there are consequences for us. Our souls can starve. 
As Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? We do this, though. We forfeit our souls every day. How? Well, we prioritize our physical needs. We prioritize our physical existence to the neglect of our souls. I mean, I've met people with beautiful bodies, fabulous houses, huge bank accounts, tremendous minds, but small, ugly little souls. On the other hand, we all know people who are physically weak and unsuccessful and unattractive but, uh, and, and even uge- un- uneducated, but they have large, mature, powerful, healthy souls. In his book, uh, Soul Keeping, Caring for the Most Important Part of You, great title, author John Orberg writes about a woman named Patricia. So Patricia was uh, a sickly woman suffering from severe diabetes and and all the uh, complications with that. Strokes, blindness, heart attacks, renal failure, two amputated limbs, all by her 30s. Patricia lived in a nursing home when she wasn't in the hospital with a coma. But despite her failing body, her soul was large and healthy and alive. She was an active member of a church in D.C. She started a homeless shelter there, in between dialysis appointments, uh, she made all the phone calls necessary to uh, raise money and get zoning changes made for the, for the homeless shelter. She got the shelter up and running. She ran it for a year before her body just gave out. Her funeral was crammed with homeless people and Washington politicians who quoted what she had said about herself when she was alive. They quoted what she had said. She said, the only thing I can depend on with my body is that it will fail me Somehow my body is mine, but it is not me. Our bodies are ours, but they're not us. Our souls are us. And the condition of our souls matters more than the condition of our bodies. We we don't think about this like that, though. I mean, listen to our prayer requests at small group. What do we pray for at small group? Oh, my leg is killing me. Oh, my neck hurts. Oh, my aunt's hip is giving her trouble again. Or when we ask each other how we're feeling, that's what we usually mean. Hey, how's your body? (laughs) Well, I'm tired. I just had a wart removed. It's kind of sensitive down there. (laughs) But while our warts are ours, they are not us. We are not our warts. We are more than our warts. Write that down. We are more than our warts. If only we cared as much about the condition of our souls, though, as we do the health of our physical realities, our our bank accounts, our minds, our bodies. Because just as we can have unhealthy bodies, we can have unhealthy souls. Souls corrupted by greed and narcissism and and laziness and favoritism. I mean, even if your hardware is okay, even if your your computer looks brand new, if your software is corrupt, your computer isn't going to work. Which is why a lot of us, frankly, we need... Computer upgrades, software upgrades, soul upgrades. We need to pay more attention to our souls. We need to think more deeply about what's really going on in our lives, beyond our physical pain, beyond our ailments. If we are more than what we appear to be, we need to pay a lot more attention to the part of us that really matters. To be both a body and a soul means that I am more than what I appear to be. Secondly, to be both a body and a soul means that I am not complete without every part of me. 
I am not complete without every part of it. You see, even though our soul might be the most important part of us, it doesn't mean that we don't need the other part. We need body and a soul, mind and a spirit. One theologian compared the, uh, the human person to a water molecule, right? So in order to have a water molecule, what do you need? You need two parts, hydrogen, one part, oxygen. You bond them together, you get water. They form something different, something related but different. That's the human person. A human person is the fusion of many parts, body, mind, spirit, and soul. By themselves, each of those parts is incomplete, but when bonded together, they make up the miracle of human life. Now, I said er earlier that it would be too easy to criticize the metaphysical anthropology of soul. At the same time, I really can't resist at this point. Uh, Soul gets this very, very wrong. (laughs) Uh, In the film, for example, Joe Gardner is the purest version of himself when he is liberated from his body. And when he prepares to move on to the great beyond, he does so as a disembodied soul. But this is not how Jesus says God created us to live. He created us body and souls. It is the union of those that allow us to know our potential as divinely created beings, body and soul together. As Paul writes to the Thessalonians, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not complete. We're we're not water without every single one of our molecules. Uh, This all raises the question of the disembodied state. Have you ever wondered what happens to someone when they die. Have you ever wondered that? Ever? Anybody ever wondered what happens to someone when they die? The great question of our existence. Has that ever occurred to you? What happens? I mean, what happens to their soul in between their death like, and their future resurrection at the final judgment? What God says will happen when he resurrects everyone, some to judgment, some to reward. What happens in between those two moments? What happens? Where do they float off to? Well, that's a mystery. The Bible says it's a mystery. But... Jesus does teach that they enter some kind of disembodied intermediate state. Uh, Paul, in the book of uh, Thessalonians, I believe, uh, refers to it as a, as a sleep. And the Old Testament calls it a, a place, uh, Sheol, the realm of the dead. But whatever it is, it's temporary and not God's ultimate vision for us. Being a disembodied person leaves us incomplete. Just like oxygen molecules are not water, so a soul is not a complete person. It's not how God intended us. God created us physical and spiritual creatures. It's actually said, I don't know if you know this, but it's actually said that the angels are jealous of human beings because we have bodies, and they don't. (laughs) Having a body is an amazing privilege. Did you know that? Did you know that having a body is a gift from God? Now, I know it doesn't always feel like that, right? Oh my gosh, what a gift, my hip. Yes, thank you, Lord, for this. Doesn't always feel like it. Having a body is a privilege, but that's only because we live in a world that's been corrupted. And that's why God is a resurrection God. The Bible says that God is determined to resurrect our bodies and reunify them with our souls, and the bodies with which we will be raised will be different. We won't have these bodies, thank God, right? Thank God that we won't have these bodies. Anybody with me? 
Yeah. Amen. Yes. Apparently your body's doing better than my body is. But thank God I won't have this body. We will have different bodies. As Paul says in the book of Corinthians, he says this. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, sown, planted, buried. The body that is buried is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is buried in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That's going to be freaking awesome, excuse me, having that body. We are not complete without every part of who we are, including our physical existence. In fact, even though I just criticized uh, the movie, let me tell you about one of my favorite parts of the film. Uh, in, in the movie, Soul 22 actually goes to Earth with Joe Gardner. Uh, she doesn't want to go to Earth because she, she hates the idea uh, of physical existence. It's just yucky for her. She's, she's a Platonist at heart, or a Gnostic if you're into philosophy. But, but, but 22 gets dragged there. And, and while on Earth, she slowly falls in love with her own physicality. She falls in love with New York in autumn. She falls in love with the smell of pizza. Falls in love with the sound of music on the subway. And Joe himself learns from her to to slow down and enjoy the life that he's been missing all around him while he's been so focused on his goals, he's just sort of been missing the beauty of the life that God has given to him. This is a lesson I think that we all can learn from. We're all so focused on accomplishing what we need to accomplish today that we just miss the beauty of life all around us. God's gift to us. This past week, for example, my son Max and I uh, flew out to California for some sightseeing. I escaped the hustle and bustle of church life for the calm, serene world of Los Angeles traffic. (laughs) Well, it wasn't calm and serene, but we did get to experience life. We were overwhelmed by what we got to experience out there. We were overwhelmed by the energy of the Dodgers game. We were underwhelmed by the energy at the Angels game. Uh, We walked the Santa Monica Pier. We drove along the Pacific Coast Highway up through Malibu. We went to Joshua Tree National Park. We spent the day day hiking around. We were bedazzled by the stars along Hollywood Boulevard and upset by the stench of urine from the homeless lining the street. It was gross. It was beautiful. It was intense. It was sensual. It was physical. It was hot. It was dry. It was life. That's what it means to be alive. That's what it means to be a human being. It means to experience all of that. God's vision for us is not to rescue us from this earth, right? His vision for us is to restore it, to save it. This is why Jesus didn't like stay up in heaven as a disembodied person. He came to earth as a resurrected man. He intends to recreate us as people with bodies that won't get killed by cancerous tumors. He intends to resurrect Hollywood Boulevard without the problem of homelessness, and he will. Until then, though, this physical world is still his gift to us. A gift not to overindulge or gorge upon, his gift to enjoy, and his gift to protect. That's why we have to care about our earth. That's why we have to care about our bodies, because they're God's gift to us. So to be people with bodies and souls means that we are more than what we appear to be, that we are not complete without every part of us. And lastly, to have both body and soul means that I must love God with my whole being. I must worship God with every part of who I am. In a very famous scene from the Gospels, 
you probably know very well. Uh, some people ask Jesus, what is the most important thing that God has given us to do? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus says this. He says, the most important commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the most important thing to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a very important verse. Uh, people make a lot of it. Uh, I've heard actually preachers turn this verse into like an entire sermon series. Uh, here's what it means to love the Lord your God with your heart. Here's what it means to love God with your soul, your mind, your strength. Uh, people actually think that Jesus is maybe breaking down the human being into its constituent parts here, right? So we are apparently, according to Jesus, one part heart, one part soul, one part mind, one part strength. The only problem here, it's a problem, is that this verse actually occurs several times in the New Testament and actually in the Old Testament too. And here's the secret. It's kind of different in each verse. <laughs> like in some, some verses leave out heart. Heart's not there. Uh, some verses uh, leave out mind. Some people, some verses actually add in spirit. So people who think that Jesus is giving us a list of all our different parts have to explain why all the lists are different. <laughs> And besides which, in breaking down this verse into like its constituent parts, we might be missing the point. Christians do this. We overanalyze stuff and conveniently miss the point. What's the point here? Love God with your whole self. Every part of who you are, your mind, your strength, your body, your soul, your spirit, every part of who you are. Love God with every part of who you are. Uh, to love God means to feel affection for him to be devoted to him. That's the main purpose of our lives, and it's something we have to do with every part of who we are. This is hard for us, though. It is hard to love God with our whole selves. Some of us have a hard time loving God with our bodies, for example. And we love Jesus, but we also love having sex with people we're not married to. We love overeating. And you'll never see us raise our hand and worship. We're not going to love God with our bodies that way. No, that's not going to happen, nope. Some of us don't love God with our minds. We love coming to church with our bodies. We love singing songs with our spirit. But we don't like engaging God with our brains. That's too hard. We'll let other people do that. Or some of us don't love God with our spirits. We like listening to sermons. We like reading our Bibles. But we don't like feeling it. Feelings are for the weak. And some of us don't love God with our souls. We keep our devotion to God on the surface. We show up to church. We think about the Bible. But if the soul is like the deepest part of who we are, we're just going to keep that part to ourselves. A lot of us practice soulless Christianity, right? We're all in, except with the most important part of us. You can't love God like that, though. You can't know God. You can't find God like that. As Moses says in the book of Deuteronomy, if you seek the Lord, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart, with all your soul. That's the only way to know and love God, with our whole selves. I mean, imagine if you told your wife or your girlfriend that you love her so much, you'll provide for her, you'll hold her, you'll help her realize her dreams, but you're, you know, you're not gonna like, talk with her. <laughs> it's just not going to happen between us. This is going to be one of those conversationless relationships. Some of you don't have to imagine that, by the way. Or, or imagine uh, telling your kids, kids, you are the apple of my eye. I'm going to be proud of you. I'm going to drive you around to soccer practice. I'm going to teach you the world. But kids, just so we're clear, 
No hugging. In fact, don't touch me. I have personal space issues. Would your kids ever know your love? Would they ever know? Would you ever know theirs? Same with God. We will never know his love truly unless we love him with our whole selves. Body, mind, spirit, soul, heart, strength. I mean, this is how he loves us, right? The only reason we can know the love of God is because he loves us like this. As John says, we love because he loved. He loves us with his whole self, his whole being. He loves us with his heart, his mind, his spirit, his body. And he even loves us with the soul. I don't know if you realize this, but God has soul. And God loves us with his. Jesus has soul. We were created in his image, so Jesus has soul. On the night of his arrest, for example, in a moment of profound agony, Jesus confesses this to heaven. He says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He he said that before he gave himself over to the cross. That's how much Jesus loves us. He loves us enough to submit his soul to death so that our souls may live. The only way we will ever be able to love God with our whole selves is to know God who loves us with every part of his self. Body, mind, spirit, soul, heart, strength. His, God's, is not a partial love. It is a complete love. He has given every part of himself to us. Every part of God loves every part of you. One more time. Every part of God loves every part of you. It's that complete love that will resurrect your body. It's that complete love that will restore your spirit. It's that complete love that will scrub your brains. It's that complete love that will resurrect your soul. As Peter writes in the New Testament, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your 